I'm Stone Freeman. I'm Stone Freeman. Alongside Stone Freeman. Seven on the game clock. 74, 73. Fats for the win. Got it! Two seconds left. Fats Russell. I'm Tyler Davey. I'm from Tampa, Florida, and you're listening to the Stone Freeman Podcast. Excuse me. Stone Freeman. GoRoady.com. Excuse me. Stone Freeman. Oh, where'd they all go? From East Hartford, Connecticut, I'm Stone Freeman. You're a heck of a brand, man. We've got the Stone Freeman podcast stickers all over our equipment now. Hi, my name is Adam Bryce. I'm from Warwick, Rhode Island, and you're listening to the Stone Freeman podcast. Where'd all the haters go? Who's the weirdo in the post game? That's a curry kid. That wrote Duxbury, D-U-C-K-S-B-E-R-R-Y. I can't find a single one. Uh, that's a Stone Freeman from URI. It's Freeman. Excuse me, what? Yeah, Stone Freeman. That's his name? Who's named after Stone Phillips? I love the open of the podcast. It's a good day to be a Ram, all right? I'll see you guys around town. Officially double digits now, episode 10 of the Stone Freeman podcast, ready to roll. Sorry, folks, about no podcast last week, cold and flu season. Uh, I put it on Twitter this way, drop kicked me in the throat, uh, allergies, the whole nine yards. We can all relate to that, especially here in New England. So no podcast last week, but we got a brand new podcast this week. We'll talk Rhode Island basketball, their win over West Virginia, talk some Patriots football, some question marks there, and then the first ever story time with Stone, much different than Stone stories. Stone stories are normally, you know, quirky, funny stories that have to do with me. Story time with Stone. We talk with somebody around uh, around athletics here at URI, around New England, where we're going to talk history and get some stories from their perspective. And this week, we got Don Call. So we'll talk to Don uh, just a little bit later on, but we're going to start with West Virginia versus Rhode Island. I think that's the biggest storyline uh, of the weekend here. We're recording on Wednesday. The team going to take off to play in Hawaii later this week. So we're kind of recapping that West Virginia game and then a look at these three games in Hawaii. But David Cox and his Rams take down Bob Huggins and the West Virginia Mountaineers. The final score, 83-70 to at Mohegan Sun, a neutral site uh, game that's kind of the front end of a home-and-home, home, though, because the Rams have to return and play uh, West Virginia uh, on the road next year, so it'll be a road opportunity next year. But you get them on a neutral, you know, a neutral court, and you take a victory over a good, you know, Power 5 school, whatever type of terminology you want to use. At the end of the day, it's a Big 12 school versus an A-10 school, and the A-10 school gets the victory again, 83-70, to the final. I want to break this down, though. I wasn't there in person. I had my internship at the Sports Hub, but I did watch closely. I watched the game cast and the game online itself, so so I, I... did take a lot of notes on this game. I took a lot away from a game like this um, because I think myself included, there were a lot of question marks uh, still unanswered this season, right? A lot of growth that had to be done from the freshmen. You weren't sure if Jeff Downton, Fats Russell, Surreal Landrevine were really grasping their roles. We saw some big games, obviously, from Surreal Landrevine and Jeff Downton, understandably so. He had a career high, I think, against Harvard with 31. So Jeff's played well this season, but again, you didn't know really if he wanted the ball in certain situations. You needed some proof from him, too, as a junior leader, if, if he was ready to take the role. And I think this answered a lot of those questions and gave Rhode Island fans something to be um, you know, encouraging, right? There, there's, there's, there's a certain step you take by beating a team like West Virginia, uh, in particular with the first-year head coach and David Cox and a lot of freshmen. But the first point that I want to make that, that I thought was important is how big of a game this was for Dave Cox as a head coach. And, and I know that you know from, from what he said to in media availabilities and post-game press conferences, he's been a head coach before, right? He had the three-game stint at Rutgers. He, he's, he's had uh, moments where, where he had to step in, 
but but we know that he's a first year head coach. That's that's what's coming along with him and the shoes that he's filling. When you get a victory like this over West Virginia, and again, I don't like to look at Vegas money lines too much, but you know, West Virginia was favored by seven points and you beat West Virginia by thirteen. That's a big victory. And and I thought this was David Cox's, you know, best coached game this season so far you know he had to deal with foul trouble a lot of fouls in this game obviously right 30 combined in the first half 56 total between both teams uh when all said and done 28 for each team so that that is that's a lot of fouls and that's a lot for a coach to be working with Jermaine Harris ended up fouling out but the way that Cox handled him uh Chris DeSano had tweeted out there was a 12-minute stretch where Harris had two fouls. Cox kept him in, and it took him 12 minutes to pick up that third foul. So, again, you can see the growth and the discipline in some of these guys, and that starts with Cox and his staff. But I thought just the energy. I know Dave took a technical at one point. I was really excited to see that just because, again, not not that I didn't think he had it in him, but, but now it's proof. Now there's proof that this guy is willing uh, to go to battle for his guys. And I think we kind of saw that all season long. But when you see a game like this, right, you need a victory, uh, not so much in terms of, you know, you need, need one, but but it's a good quality resume building type of performance. And you get the W. But Cox, I, I thought he impressed in this game. Um, but far far more than just coaching on the sidelines in this one. Again, the growth from two freshmen in particular, Jermaine Harris and Tyrese Martin, I think was on full display in this game. Just some of the stats, Harris, 11 points, three rebounds. Um, He ends up fouling out of the game. He had five fouls, but, you know, when you see a guy like him just he had a couple moves I think he had a pick and roll a high screen where he rolled in wide open in the paint and threw it down that's the stuff those are the steps that you need to take and I think the staff that Cox has put together again ranging away from those coaching on the sidelines in the game but coaching in in situations you know practice situations the way that they're handling Jermaine Harris I think is perfect Um, I talked to Kevin Sutton one of the assistant coaches before ironically I want to say it was the it was, it was before the Harvard game, so they got the victory. But I talked to, to Coach Sutton before, and his perspective was kind of like, these freshmen, you're just going to throw them into the fire. You know, what better way to learn and get college basketball reps than playing? And that's the jump that these freshmen make. I mean, I don't care what AAU circuit you're playing on. I don't care what school you end up going to. There's a significant difference between playing on an AAU circuit or high school basketball and playing Division One basketball. There's a jump there. But how they're handling this is perfect. Again, dating back to that conversation with Coach Sutton, it was getting these freshmen in games is the best opportunity for them. What other way do you expect them to grow, right? There's so many opportunities now, and sometimes you know, guys just don't pan out, right? I think we're kind of seeing that with a guy like Michael Tertia, right? Dan Hurley decides to redshirt him. We haven't seen much growth from him. Uh, he's kind of a big, lanky body. He's not going to see many minutes, and unfortunately you get players like that in college basketball. But what better way to get somebody equipped to playing college basketball than just putting them out there and letting them play in environments and tough against Big 12 schools, against big bodies, big guys? And I thought Rhode Island did obviously catch a break, right? The the big guy there, Kanade didn't play, 13.6 points per game and eight rebounds. That's a big guy, a big body inside. But again, you still take the victory. You, I mean... West Virginia still the favorite to win, obviously, in terms of money lines and whatnot. So Rhode Island takes that one. But again, you get your freshman developing. But Tyrese Martin, I thought, stood out too. Now he's had um, three straight games with seven or 
uh, plus points. He had seven points against West Virginia in 26 minutes, eight points against Holy Cross in 18 minutes, and eight points against Providence in 20 minutes. So he's starting to find his role off the bench. And bench scoring was big. Uh, it was a big question mark, especially at the beginning of this season, right? There wasn't so much um, coming off the bench. We were relying heavily on Jeff Doughton for the Rhode Island Rams. And Fats Russell, even though his shooting struggles, he's going to break out of those. Uh, you know, you'd like to think he's going to come around to him, but while he's still in those slumps, you need bench scoring to come around. And I know seven points is an eye-popping, but again, seven points, four rebounds, and two assists in 26 minutes against a, uh, a Power 5 school and a neutral court where you're looking for a victory, those are big minutes for Martin. I know Rhode Island, I don't think Rhode Island trailed at all in the first half. And then down the stretch in the second half, they really started to put the nail in the coffin. But there was a stretchy, uh, a difficult situation, you know, beginning in the second half where West Virginia started to get hot and you thought, well, this is where the wheels start to fall off. And Rhode Island kept it in. And the, the, the bench minutes in games like this where fouls are, are called, it seemed every you know, 20 seconds there was a there was a whistle being blown where there's no rhythm in a game like this. You need bench scoring to be able to come in and just provide a spark. And I think that's what guys like Tyrese Martin are doing. Now, you get a guy like Jeff Dowton that's, you know, playing out of his mind right now, A-10 player of the week, plays 37 minutes, shoots 500 from the floor, 7 of 14 overall. He's got 18 points, a full stat sheet with 7 assists and 5 rebounds. I mean, this kid can do it all. And when you get a guy like that, that more often than and not is going to be the best player on the court for you. Again, the ball will start to move more when there's a lot of whistles being blown. But you still have to rely on on this bench. And Dana Tate, he only played 12 minutes. He didn't get any points, but I thought that was one of his better games. I thought, again, he's starting to settle into a rhythm. But Martin provided 26 minutes off the bench. Cox only used four reserves. Ryan Preston only saw two minutes. Silverio, six minutes. But it was Dana Tate and Tyrese Martin combining for, you know, 38 points minutes off the bench, those are important minutes for two guys. But you had Fats Russell and Jeff Downton kind of workhorses that played 37 minutes apiece. Christian Thompson looked great with 29 minutes. And Langevin and uh, Surreal, uh, I mean, Jermaine Harris, you get some foul trouble for your big guys like that. You need players off the bench that not even so much are filling their role, but just filling their minutes. And I thought Tyrese Martin looked pretty good. And you're, I mean, I'm high on this kid. He's a stud. He, he, he's a natural scorer. Um, the storylines are there with him, you know, outscoring Cam Reddish and all that. We've talked about that on this podcast before, but, you know, I thought this was just the perfect storm for Rhode Island. I thought there was situational basketball that David Cox handled well. You again, had the best player on the court in Jeff Doughton. Um, Fats, again, those shooting struggles, you'd like to think they'll come around. He shot one of six again from three, so the storyline is still there, but as you're winning, you start to see some of these storylines disappear a bit. But, you know, Fats still provided 18 points. Him and Jeff each had 18 apiece, so you take a look at that front line and those guys that are scoring scoring buckets, and that's what matters. But when you got big guys like Jermaine Harris, again, he's a freshman still finding his way. thought there was a lot of growth in this. And I thought he learned a lot in a game like this, uh, um, him and Martin. I thought, uh, you know, John Carroll, another one of the assistants on David Cox's staff, he said in practices before, they're going to learn. That's what we're going to do. You know, he stops practice, you talk it through him, you don't let guys get discouraged, you just let them learn their way through things. Uh, and that happens with in-game reps. So again, I'm kind of throwing a lot at you here, but I thought the growth of the team from David Cox as the head coach through the freshman was significant. I thought Jeff Dowlin really proved his worth to this team. And, and again, I'm, 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 I admit my faults. Um, 
you know, you look at this Atlantic 10, I was hesitant to say, you know, sure out that Jeff Downton's the best player in the conference. I don't know if I want to make that assessment yet before I start looking at more A-10 schools. Um, but what I am telling you is this, more often than not, in A-10 play or non-conference play, Jeff Downton is going to be your best player on the court. Obviously, it goes without saying, he's Rhode Island's best player. But he could potentially be, depending on matchups and whatnot, the best player on the court in general. So you catch a break, West Virginia plays without a big guy, but you get a big victory on the road. You play through some fouls. David Cox coaches his, his ass off, and, and, and I just thought there was an overall good vibe from this game. The freshmen learn, the freshmen grow. And just like that, you're, you know, you're sitting here looking at a 5-3 and three record through eight games, and now a trip to Hawaii. You get three games in Hawaii, you're going to come back and play Middle Tennessee. You have four games left in the non-conference slate, and all of a sudden you start to feel a little bit more optimistic, right? You're going to play Bucknell in Hawaii, an opportunity for this team to grow more off the court as, as, as um, teammates and friends and whatnot, a very big bonding experience. But you look at a couple top 100 opportunities where, you know, Ken Palm's the big one now and, and that net rating and all that because uh, RPI's kind of been thrown out the window. But TCU, a big opportunity if you can get through Bucknell. Bucknell at least is one of the bigger um, mid-majors in the country right now. They've, con- they've really dominated the Patriot League in terms of regular season and then even the Patriot League tournament over the past couple of years. So uh, that, that's a big opportunity. You have opportunities to win games here coming up in Hawaii. Get a chance at TCU if you can get through Bucknell and if TCU takes care of Charlotte, which you'd like to think that. But I think a perfect storm for Rhode Island would be a 2-1 and record in Hawaii. You get a couple, you know, again, resume builders, but not so much building that postseason resume, just building opportunities to set up meaningful games in the Atlantic 10 schedule. And I think that's what Rhode Island uh, will kind of take care of business. But the team leaves, uh, again, we're recording here on Wednesday. The team leaves on Thursday morning at 2.30. They're going to take a bus from the Ryan Center to Boston, get on a flight, and head to Honolulu, Hawaii for three games, and they return the 27th. Uh, I did put it on my Twitter, but I saw that there were a couple questions and whatnot about it. Bill Koch tweeted out, I will be making the trip to Hawaii, uh, going in place of Steve McDonald and Don Call, the two great play-by-play and color commentators for uh, URI Men's Basketball on the Roadie Sports Network. The two of them staying home for the holidays, so I'll be heading out there. You can catch the games on B101, and I think uh, 720 will carry the game on Christmas because of previously uh, scheduled uh, content on B101 FM. So you can follow me on social media for all updates and whatnot. Again, at Stone P. Freeman. Follow the podcast Twitter at Stone Free Pod as well. So that breaks down West Virginia versus Rhode Island and the road ahead for URI. The Rams take down the West Virginia Mountaineers 83-70, to setting themselves up for some meaningful games here. The rest of the non-conference slate before Atlantic 10 play rolls around, and you're looking at a, a top echelon team in the A-10. When we come back, we have the first ever story time with Stone. We talk with URI Hall of Famer and former Rhode Island basketball legend Don Call. When we come back, Stone Freeman Podcast. Stone Freeman Podcast episode 10 continues to roll on and 
We have the first ever story time with Stone. It's an idea that I teased earlier two weeks ago on my Twitter. I want to talk to some different people across the state uh, surrounding URI athletics and the history. So this week we have Don Call. I'll be doing a, a visual piece for this too, but I figured I'll give you guys the content now because it's a really good interview. I edited it just a little bit to kind of splice it together so it's easier for you to listen to. Uh, but Don Call, he's a URI class of 67, Hall of Famer class of 85. Uh, you know him if you listen to B101 Radio on the Roadie Sports Network. He's the color commentator. He's been doing that since Jim Norman was the play-by-play guy. Now he works with Steve McDonald. But Don is a, is a pretty interesting guy. He's, he's a great human being. I think that's what really makes him uh, an interesting character because the stuff that he talks about is just genuine. And he's he's a really good dude. And uh, we, we talk Jim Norman, Tom Penders, Ernie Caverlay, Frank Keeney. We talk about a lot of different things here, a lot of stories uh, on the first ever story time with Stone Freeman. So hopefully you enjoy this, but this is an interview that I recorded inside Keeney Gym too. So just kind of try to set the scene for yourself a bit because Don might refer to, you know, around here or things like that it's because we're actually sitting inside Keeney. So here it is, Don Call, class of 67, one of the best uh, Rams to ever put on a Rhode Island uniform. Let's hear it. Yeah, my first experience here at Keeney Gym was back in 1961. I was a sophomore at Rogers High School in uh, Newport. And we played in the state semifinal championship here, and we lost. And uh, the following year, we played in the state championship at Alumni Hall in Providence, and we made it to the finals, and we lost. And then the following year, we're back here at Keeney Gym in 1963, and we played Tolman High School, and we won. So my experience at Keeney as a teenager it was one win, one loss. Uh, after that, I was recruited here at the University of Rhode Island by Coach Ernie Cavalli, and uh, I committed to uh, Rhode Island, and I played uh, four years here at uh, Keeney. But back in the day, freshmen had to play freshman basketball. You couldn't play varsity basketball, so I was on a freshman team. Every day we scrimmaged the varsity here on this court, and uh, you know we get beat up a bunch of times. A couple of times we beat the varsity, but uh, the experience here was uh, fantastic. Uh, my most memorable experience here at Keeney Gym was probably my senior year. Uh, we played the University of Connecticut. At the time, their point guard was Tom Penders, and they had a, another guard that was very good, uh, Wes Balasuknia. And uh, it was a good game. Uh, we didn't have a great year. UConn, I think, had lost only two games. They were going to the NCAA tournament. We were down 19 at the half. Coach Cavalier wasn't very pleased. So we came out in the second half, and we eventually, you know, worked the thing down. So we were down one point with five seconds to go. Coach calls a timeout. Four of the starters had fouled out of the game. I was the only one remaining. So he devised this play down low for the two forwards down low to set a pick. And uh, I was had the ball at half court, and I was supposed to hit one of the big guys. So we break the huddle. And I said, Coach, what if one of these big guys isn't open? What do I do? He says, oh, oh, I don't know. He says, give the ball to Jenkins. Well, Dick Jenkins was a walk-on. He was a sophomore, hadn't played practically all year, but he was in the game because everybody had fouled out. So the referee was right next to me counting the seconds. When he gets to four, you can't call another timeout. So at the last minute, the two big guys weren't open. I threw it to Jenkins. Jenkins took about two steps inside the half-court mark, made a long, long jump shot to win the game. And uh, I have the picture of uh, Tom Penders going up to try to to guard uh, Jenkins, and uh, 
he wasn't able to stop the shot. The ironic part of the story is the following year, Jenkins went out for the golf team, became a great, great golfer, and never played another game of basketball here at Keeney Gym. Now, I want to touch on Tom Peters uh, just briefly. So you have a relationship with him now still after playing against him, him coaching here. He's still local, is he? Yeah, he's down in Narragansett, and I have opportunities to play golf with him as well, and he's still a competitor. He really is. And, uh, you know, he came to a lot of practices uh, last year when Dan Hurley was the coach. And uh, Dan was, you know, very nice to him, and uh, he's got great pedigree. I mean, he was at Rhode Island, then he went to Texas, then he went to uh, uh, GW uh, down there. So, you know, he's a, he's a great coach, but, you know, I still see him a lot, and I still hear from players that I played with, you know, we uh, emailed each other, you know, back and forth, and especially last year when the team was doing so well, you heard from them a lot, uh, you're struggling a little bit this year, and um, hearing from them from a lot of them also at the same time, but it's, uh, you know, a little bit on the negative side, so, uh, yeah, it's something that you, you, you develop this relationship with players. Uh, one of the players I played with, he was the best man in my wedding. So, you know, that just stays. You know, once you make that relationship athletic-wise with, uh, you know, your fellow teammates, it stays for a long while. A student way back in the day, everybody had their final exams here at Keeney Gym. They laid down, uh, you know, uh, carpeting or whatever on the floor, and everybody took final exams here. And during the basketball season, when final exams were taken, we had to practice up at the old uh, Rodman Gym, uh, which has a great history to it as, as well. But also, back when uh, I was a freshman, everybody, every male student, had to take ROTC. It was mandatory for two years. So Keeney Gym was shared not only by the athletic department on one side, but ROTC on the other side. So the gym was used for different drills, different formations and whatnot. The ROTC program had their academic area in here as well. So it was a multi-purpose uh, you know, gymnasium uh, from the get-go. And, uh, you know, I've seen some great games here, you know, back when, uh, you know, Rhode Island had, uh, you know, Tommy Garrick playing, uh, Silk Owens, uh, Kenny Green, those great teams. And uh, I was here for the infamous game against uh, St. Joseph's University in which the uh, Hawk, it's tradition, he keeps his hands flapping throughout the whole game. And we had our Rhode Island Ram mascot take a uh, inner tube from a huge tire and put it over his head to prevent his arms from flapping. And there was a little bit of chaos in that game against St. Joe's. No, I think it's the same as playing anywhere at home. Uh, this was a huge home court advantage for us, mainly because down the far end there was a stage, and up on the stage they used to bring out these bleachers, and the bleachers were very close to the court. So the student body pretty much sat down there. And all the seats, as you can see at the Keeney Gym, are very close to the floor. So it was a huge home court advantage. The other teams would come in and their eyes would kind of pop open once the student body got in here. It got very, very noisy. It was a huge home court advantage. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, yeah, they retired my number at uh, Rogers High School. So I had a good you know, high school career. Um, you know, I had the opportunity of being recruited by some other schools, but um, I had a close affiliation with URI due to the fact that I had played here my sophomore year and senior year in high school and I got to know the campus pretty well. Plus my current wife that I've been married to for 52 years, she was a freshman here when I was a senior at Rogers High School, so that might have had something to influence my decision to come to uh, URI.
Well, it actually had to do, um, you know, back 33 years ago, Tom Penders was the head coach here at the University of Rhode Island, and we had a long relationship when he played at Connecticut. I played at Rhode Island. We were both seniors, played against each other for three years, and uh, he asked me if I would help out Jim Norman. Jim Norman used to do the play-by-play for Rhode Island, but he did it solo. And back in the day, there were no stat monitors. He used to keep score himself, and he used to keep track of everybody's shots himself. So it was a lot for one person to do. So Tom Penders asked me if I would help him out, and I said, yeah, I'll I'll give it a shot. I had done some high school games for local uh, radio station in Newport uh, years ago, so I I gave it a shot, and then I stayed on for a couple more years. And uh, the fact that I had three children that went here to the University of Rhode Island made that affiliation with URI stay a little bit longer. And now I've got uh, 10 grandkids, three of them are here at URI. So the affiliation just kind of stays and stays. So, you know, I enjoy doing it. You know, how long I'll continue to do it, I I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be 74, and uh, as you know, Stone, uh, you're going to go to Hawaii and do the games. I'm not going because Christmas is big with the big family we have. And being 74, I don't know how many more Christmases I'm going to have. So, uh, you know, you're going to enjoy that trip. And I... I hope to uh, listen to every word you say on the radio. Have you met, obviously you played for Coach Capital, but did you ever meet and talk to Coach Keeney? No, he had passed away uh, prior to me ever, ever coming here. No, not at all. But his, his legacy is just unbelievable. The years that he was here, people don't really understand that he was also a professor here, professor of chemistry. And uh, he developed a formula for an ointment and it was uh, in liquid form that uh, back in the day, everybody, every athlete back in the day used to get jock rash, okay? And now they don't wear jock straps anymore, but back in the day, everybody had a jock rash. And uh, Coach Keeney developed a formula for this ointment they used to put on your crotch area, and it would clean it up almost uh, overnight. And uh, I don't know why he never put a patent on the thing. He probably could have been a multimillionaire, but uh, everybody... Because back in the day, after you practiced every day, you just threw your dirty laundry into the window I showed you down there before, and they'd wash it. Lord knows what chemical they'd wash it in. But the next day, you put on some brand new, you know, gym shorts and a jock strap, and uh, two days later, you get this wicked rash. But Coach Keeney had the formula to take care of it. What was it like playing for Coach Gabriel? He was good. He was a real. He had a legacy. He made probably the most famous shot. You know, heard around the world. It was in the NIT down in the old Madison Square Garden. And uh, when we played down in the old garden, uh, he made a shot from beyond three-quarter court to beat, I don't know if it was Kentucky or who he beat, but anyway, he beat a real big team in the NIT. And um, that spot on the floor, we used to go down to the old Madison Square Garden. Uh, Everybody used to try to take a shot from that uh, spot. Nobody could anywhere near the rim. So he was, you know, quite the coach. Uh, he was a guard coach because he was a guard himself, and he developed some uh, real good talent here at the university. Well, I hope you enjoyed that again. That's Don Call, class of '67, at the University of Rhode Island and Rhode Island Hall of Famer, class of '85. Great interview. Thanks again, Don, for taking some time to talk on the Stone Freeman podcast. When we come back, we got final thoughts. We're going to talk Patriots, Steelers, Tom Brady, the whole nine yards. When we come back, Stone Freeman podcast, episode ten. All right, we've talked a lot of Rhode Island men's basketball today. 
did some history with Don Call. But uh, professionally, there's a pretty big storyline right now in New England, and that's uh, how the New England Patriots are playing. Patriots dropped their fifth game of the season. Uh, something that hasn't been done since 2009. Nine and five. Uh, I think they're the three seed right now because the Texans won this weekend. They're 10 and four. The Chiefs, obviously, still with a loss to the Chargers. Now they look still pretty good because the Patriots are losing. And the Chargers, again, a wild card team that's going to have to fight to get, you know, they're either going to be the five seed or the one seed, unfortunately. Same thing goes for the Chiefs. So kind of a big AFC playoff picture. What I'm saying is the last time we recorded this podcast, I said the AFC was wide open. And now two weeks from now, it looks like we're starting to see them kind of fall and formulate into place. But my final thoughts today uh, are around this Steelers-Pats game. And, and I mean, I'm certainly nervous. This is, this is annoying. Um, maybe nervous isn't so much the word if you're a Patriots fan as much as it's just frustrating. Because, again, you, you see the final score against the Steelers, 17-10. to 10. Uh, If I told you the Steelers were only going to put up 17 points, you'd probably take the Patriots by a landslide, especially the way that Tom Brady has played against the Steelers. Uh, I went over the Patriots' defense last week, how I think they're taking some unnecessary um, criticism. Again, that Miami game is definitely frustrating, right? We haven't talked about that one on the podcast yet. That That is on the defense, a game like that, and not being able to just tackle Kenyon Drake to end the game. and That's a story for another day. That's an annoying loss, and now the Patriots have dropped two. This was a frustrating loss to the Steelers because they just couldn't move the ball. Right. But I'm, but I started to look at some numbers and I know numbers only tell a certain story. I still think Brady might be a little bit more banged up than the, than the Patriots are, you know, letting out. But I did look at his numbers today and you look at 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions, uh, just 21 yards shy of another 4,000 yard season. Completion percentage is actually above what his career is. It's at 65.9. I haven't, I, I, I have been too intrigued by Brady, and I was trying to put my finger on why this year. And then you look at his numbers, and you realize they're really not that bad. Nine interceptions kind of high for a guy like Tom Brady. But, again, 24 touchdowns. He's 41 years old. The team still has nine games. Again, we start to um, inflate and whatnot, look at all these statistics that the Patriots put up because they're not doing Patriot-esque things, but still a pretty good season. You can still finish 11-5. and five. You know, you're still going to win the AFC East. I think you just have to win one of the next two games or something bizarre and hope Miami loses a game. The only way you don't win the division is if Miami wins out and you lose out, which is just not going to happen. But I'm trying to figure out why Tom Brady is frustrating this year because by the numbers, again, they're not Tom Brady-esque, but they're also not bad. And then I looked at red zone numbers, and I thought, that's why. The Patriots right now are only scoring touchdowns on 58% of their trips to the red zone, right? Now, that's middle of the pack. That's 16th in the league. It's right behind Green Bay for 15th, which would really be the middle, the middle team. Um, but I think it's Brady's weapons. I think we have seen this year how critical Rob Gronkowski has been to Tom Brady's success. Now there are plenty, I mean, there are three Super Bowls without Gronk out there um, before Gronk was even here. And then there's a Super Bowl victory against the Falcons where Gronk was physically hurt and didn't play. I get all that. But you're, Brady's the best quarterback to ever do it with or without Gron- Rob Gronkowski. But in this new wave, this really this second wave of Patriots success, 
because again, there's that 10-year stretch between the Super Bowl in 2004 and then finally beating the Seahawks, where the Patriots were, you know, losing to the Giants twice in the Super Bowl, losing to the Jets in the divisional rounds. Kind of a confusing era. And Brady and Belichick have kind of combined for two different eras in Patriots history, if if that makes sense. But we're seeing how critically important a healthy Rob Gronkowski is to Tom Brady. Now, Gronk, in terms of injury report, obviously he missed a couple games, but he's been fairly healthy in comparison to other you know, seasons. But he hasn't been Gronk, right? And I think he's banged up, and I think he's starting to realize that football has taken a toll on his body. Now, I'm not willing to throw in the towel yet, on Tom Brady. This season, I don't know if I trust the Patriots now because, I mean, they got a losing record on the road. They're going to have to go through road stadiums in the playoffs. We've seen how critically important home field advantage is for the Patriots these past couple of years in terms of getting to the Super Bowl. I mean, last year against even the Jaguars, gave them fits at home. They still get the victory, and you get a big play from uh, Stephon Gilmore in the secondary, who, by the way, is the best player uh, on the Patriots this season so far, I thought. But I think we're, we're seeing now just how important Gronk is, how important Edelman is. Edelman hasn't been his, himself either. And again, I don't know so much if there's a blame on Brady as much as, again, where we kind of start to play with his numbers. I thought that interception he threw was – Scott Zolak said it on the 98.5 broadcast. It's the worst ball he's thrown in 10 years. I think he might be right. At first, that sounds like an exaggeration, but I think he might be right. And Brady covered it up in his postgame presser by saying it was uh, – you know, he was trying to get rid of it. He was trying to get rid of it and get it out of bounds. That's a bad ball. Joe Hayden was right and right there and intercepts it, toe taps, and whole nine yards. But, I mean, again, I just I think the defense has kind of taken some unfair criticism. Uh, that Miami game's kind of an outlier, but the defenses look strong in the red zone all season long. But the Patriots' offense cannot move the ball inside the red zone, and it has shown. It has shown. I think Brady has lost a step. Um, obviously, I've probably said it sarcastically, right? Oh, Brady's done. I don't know if he's done, especially when you look at some of these numbers. Um but I certainly don't think we're seeing the best of Tom Brady, obviously, and that's because of the fact Rob Gronkowski, Edelman, these guys aren't healthy. They're not. They just don't look healthy, and they don't look right out there. So that's my final thought. This Patriots team is not so much done as it's just now you have to. I mean, myself included, I was really high on uh, on the Patriots going forward because I thought they'd end up getting the one seed or at least the two seed, and the only way they'd have to go on the road is if it was the AFC Championship. But now it looks like they're going to have to play a game on the road. You know, they're going to have to play a wild card game and then play a divisional game on the road and then play an AFC Championship game on the road. That's a lot. That's a lot for a team that uh, their road victories, the Bears' road victory is a pretty good one. But other than that, your only two road victories are at the Jets and the Bills. Yuck. That's my final thought on the New England Patriots uh, struggling this season. Episode 10 of the Stone Freeman Podcast wrapping up. I remind you, you can follow us on Twitter, my personal handle, at Stone. 
Freeman and the podcast handle at Stone Free Pod. I'll be traveling with the Rhode Island men's basketball team over the course of the next week to Honolulu, Hawaii, so you can see all the updates on social media there. Uh, if you have any questions, shoot them my way. We'll have a lot of fun out there. And join us on the broadcast on uh, the 22nd, 23rd, and then on Christmas Day. we got three games in Honolulu, Hawaii. Episode 10 of the Stone Freeman Podcast is in the books. We'll see you around town.